0: Hey guys, welcome to On Air with Matthew James, I'm of course Matthew James, and in today's episode I'm chatting to the amazing Dr. David Fagenbaum, the author behind the book Chasing My Cure, a memoir about his journey um, and finding the cure for the rare castleman's disease. Uh, For those of you who are not aware of the story, it's one of the most amazing and most inspirational stories out there at the moment. And we are so happy to sit with him today and chat about his journey, um, writing this book, what it was like, going through all of this as well as his latest project called Repurpose, which is in conjunction with the CDC and its efforts to fight and find a cure for the coronavirus. Remember to subscribe to our Spotify channel to be kept in the loop as to when new episodes air or follow us on social media at Matthew James SA on both Twitter and Facebook and at Matthew Allen on Instagram. Let's get chatting to David. Dr. David Fagenbaum, how are you doing today?
1: Doing well. Thanks so much for asking. And I'm very impressed that you were able to pronounce my last name correctly. It's, it's, <laughs> it's rare that anyone gets that right.
0: No, When I, when I, when I first sort of saw um, all your social media content, I, I'll be honest, I couldn't. But then I started doing the research and listening to the videos, and then I sort of picked up on, on how nice. to pronounce the name properly. So it's good research that's allowed <laughs> me to do this. Um, so before we even start, can you briefly explain for the listeners who don't know what exactly is your story that's taking on social media by storm at the moment?
1: Sure. So <laughs> I was a healthy third-year medical student training to become an oncologist in memory of my mom when out of nowhere yeah. I just became deathly ill. Yeah. My liver, kidneys, bone marrow, heart and lungs just shut down and yeah. I, I nearly died for the first time, mm. and um, then I decided that I would dedicate my life to trying to find a, a treatment or a mm. cure when I just kept relapsing over and over again.
0: Mm. And, and that's sort of when, when you figure out that you have, when the doctors figure out that you have Castleman's disease. What exactly is Castleman's disease?
1: It's an immune system disorder where the immune system gets hyperactivated and then begins to attack and shut down the body's vital organs. So it's um, an issue where the immune system is too strong and as a result causes problems.
0: Okay. So when did you sort of notice, so let's take it back to the beginning. What did you sort of notice was off about you that, that sent you, that made you go into the doctor's office to sort of figure out there's something wrong with me? When, what did, what started that?
1: I was a third-year medical student, and I yeah. was noticing I was getting more and more tired than usual. And in, yeah. um, in medical school, you're usually pretty tired because you're working yeah. pretty long hours. <laughs> but it was a unusual tired. It was more mm. tired than I'd ever felt in my life. Mm. In fact, I was so tired that I would go see a patient, um, take mm. care of a patient in their room, and then I would go look for an empty room to go mm. take a six-minute nap on an open bed in the <laughs> hospital. And then I would set my alarm. I'd wake up mm. six minutes later and I would go see another patient and I'd go find another empty room. And I just kept doing that because I was so exhausted that I yeah. needed just even to be able to function. I needed to like yes. sleep uh, for even if it was just a few minutes at a time. Yeah. And, um, and it started out as fatigue and then it turned into really bad abdominal pain. Yeah. And um, pretty soon I, um, I, I eventually went to the emergency department and they ran blood work and told me that my organs were shutting down.
0: So, uh, but at that point, they didn't know it was Castleman's disease. What was it like knowing that there's something wrong with you? Doctors can see that there's something wrong with you, but no one can tell you what it is or help you.
1: It was terrifying, and I think being a medical student maybe made it even more scary in some ways because I knew just how sick I was when I looked at my blood work and I saw the levels of various things in my blood. I I knew that in some cases those were levels that I'd never even seen um, that high before. So it 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 was terrifying to not having any answers.
0: So so what sort of made you say, okay, so now no one can help me. I'm going to help myself. I'm going to go and find. Out what it is and, and I'm the cure. What what sort of kick started that in you?
1: You know, it was um it actually took a while to get there. At the very yeah. beginning, I was very trusting of um the medical system. I just believed and hoped that someone somewhere would figure out a solution for me. And yeah. it wasn't actually until the fourth time that I almost died. And the and at that stage, I failed to respond Mm -hmm. to the only drug that was undergoing clinical trials for my disease. And I literally was completely out of options. It wasn't like Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I had options and there were other solutions and I decided Mm -hmm. I I wanted to to disregard them. There literally were no options left. And that's when I decided that I needed to dedicate my life to um, if I wanted to have a life um, and I wanted to have a future, I'd need to dedicate it to, to trying to find a treatment.
0: Now you're saying like you almost died five times at a point your family even called in a priest. What did that sort of feel like for you on the other side five times
1: yeah it was, <laughs> it, was it was it was frightening and it was um devastating to say goodbye to the people that you love um it's uh a memory that i, I in many ways I wish i could I could remove. I wish that some of these yeah. These, you know, really tough times. And and actually when I was writing, yeah. chasing my cure, the book yeah. that, that we had spoken about, yeah. it actually brought back a lot of really tough memories. And so it was actually yeah. pretty hard to, to, to bring them back up, but I'm happy that I did because I, I do feel like so much came from it that, yeah. um, I'm hoping can be inspirational and helpful to others, but it, no, to answer your question, it was really, really tough to, um, To say goodbye to the people that you love and to think, to to realize that you're not going to be around any longer. Um, And so when I did begin to improve the first time and with each of the five times I've improved, I've just been so thankful to be alive.
0: Did this happening, you know, going through this near death experience five times, did this really affect your relationship with your family in any way? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. My um, my amazing girlfriend, uh, who I dated for a couple years before I became um, sick, and we'd actually just broken up a few months before I got sick. Uh, she was amazingly just wanted to be there for me and, and support mm-hmm. me. And actually, we, we started dating again a few months after I got out of the hospital, and she's been been by my side ever since. And so in some ways, it actually helped my girlfriend at the time now, mm. now my wife, Caitlin, mm. to really appreciate, um, one another more than yeah. we could before. Um, and then as far as my, my dad, my sisters, mm. um, it, 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 really brought us closer together. They were so supportive sh- to me. And, um, sometimes it, it takes really tough things in life to help us to realize how important the people we are, uh, or people that we love are to us.
0: So how is that, how has this almost uh, affected you living your life every single day? The fact that you were almost not here five times, how has that affected you living your life going forward now?
1: It's changed everything about my life. I, I, I feel like I, I I'm living in this period of what I call overtime where yeah. it's time that I didn't think that I would have that I have. And when you're in overtime everything's different when you think about sporting events mm-hmm. here in the US i think about american football yeah. i'm sure you you can think yeah. about about your football in overtime it's like um, bonus. there's this incredible yeah it's a bonus yeah. but it's this incredible there's this incredible sense of urgency because you know that a mistake and and the game's mm-hmm. over but you also know that that there's also the potential for continuing on if you, if you, if you play well. And so I, I, this whole sense of, of overtime, um, is something that I've been feeling ever since I got out of the hospital for the the last time. And, and, and really with each of my near death experiences that I'm just so thankful to have this extra time. It's also just made me appreciate uh, the people in my life. More than than I ever could have before. It's given me this an, a number of mottos mm-hmm. that um, that really and, and mantras that I live by, like "think it, do it." Because when I was on my deathbed, I didn't regret anything that I had done. I only regretted the things that I didn't do yeah. or I didn't say, and which really pushes me to say, you know, don't let yourself, don't talk yourself out of the things that that you want to do. And and as I've shared before with you, this is why I wanted to share my story through chasing my cures yeah. because I feel like I've been kind of let in on these life lessons that have just completely changed who I am fundamentally. And I don't want everyone else to have to to go through what I went through or to have to listen to their last rites being read to them before they're able to start uh, making these changes.
0: That's that's really amazing. And how let's take it back to, to Chasing my Cure, how did you actually go about finding the cure? Where does one even start doing that?
1: For me, I knew that it would need to be kind of two uh, parallel approaches. So when I nearly died for the fourth time and decided that I would take this disease on, I knew that I would need to create an international network of all the physicians, researchers, and patients. I would need to bring everyone together and really leverage the entire community to prioritize research, to conduct research. And in parallel, I would also need to begin conducting research myself. Mm -hmm. I knew that it was very unlikely that I would be able to make progress on my own, but I knew that if I could build a team, that it would become much more likely. And actually we were able to make some really exciting progress from the network perspective, the Castle Disease Collaborative Network. And then I relapsed again for the, for the fifth time and I nearly died again. And when I got out of the hospital, I just stopped everything else and spent the next, it was several weeks where all I did all day, every day, was go back to all of the old samples that I've been collecting on myself. Mm-hmm. I've been storing blood samples, lymph node samples uh, leading up to that relapse. Mm-hmm. And, um, Started performing experiments on them with the hope that I could find a drug that maybe could save my life. And I had a, an important date in the future. Uh, Caitlin and I were engaged yeah. to get married on May 24th, 2014. And so there was a real urgency. It was, yeah. if I don't find a drug, I'm not going to make it to my wedding day. And if I do, then then maybe I can. And so I just worked around the clock, and I eventually found a pattern in the data that made me think that this one drug might be able to work. Of course, there was no guarantee, yeah. and I, I had very little confidence that it would necessarily work, but I had no other options. So we um, dove head first after, this, after using this drug.
0: Before I go to my next question, the drug that you're talking about was, act- was an actual drug that was originally put out for something else, for a different disease, right? It was a, it's a basically a repurposed drug.
1: That's exactly right. So, I it would have been really hard for me to start experimenting with a not approved drug that would have been um, pretty difficult to do ethically, (laughs) and also for a lot of reasons, it would have been difficult. But I knew that there were 1500 drugs that here in the US are already approved for at Mm -hmm. least one condition, and so there are a lot of drugs that you know maybe I could. I could try to get my hands on and they're already approved for something else. So as you said, the right term is repurpose. You're exactly right. And so I decided I wanted to try to repurpose, Mm. um, repurpose an existing drug to save my life.
0: What was the experience like testing out all of these drugs? Was it on yourself? Was it in a lab? How did you sort of go about doing that?
1: So the experiments I ran were to try to understand what is going wrong in my samples and why, why, is my immune system so hyperactive? And so I did experiments comparing my samples against other normal immune cells. And what I kept finding was that a particular cell type called the T cell and this particular communication line called the mTOR pathway, that both of those were highly activated in ways that I wasn't seeing in normal people's immune systems. And this drug serolimus is an mTOR inhibitor. It actually turns off that communication line and it's really good at turning off activated T cells. So I knew this one drug could hit both of the things that seemed to be going wrong. And actually there were a few other things that I knew this drug could also inhibit um, that I also noticed were going wrong in my samples. And so it was actually based on that that made me say, okay, I want to try this drug. Um, And and even though it 's the drug that is saving my life and you know why i 'm here today, it actually was not the first drug I yeah. tried to myself about two months before that. I started trying a different drug called cyclosporin that has a similar mechanism of action that I thought could also work, and it unfortunately did not work for me um, and then and i was I was so disappointed because it was the first time i had really um, you know try to take control over my yeah. care i was just a medical student so i couldn't prescribe it to myself but i could be a part of of suggesting it mm-hmm. and then I, I i encouraged another drug that also maybe had some effect but i still got really sick on it so this was kind of my third and that you could almost say my my last pitch mm-hmm. effort
0: so each time so i, I could kind of imagine this happening but each time you tested out these drugs and you got back a result that was not favorable what was that experience like for you
1: it was just so heartbreaking. Um, for me, I, I wasn't just trying to find a drug to live forever like, you know, we all want. I mean, I, I had such a clear goal in front of me, which was yeah. to make it to our wedding day, and and I just wanted it so badly that it Um, it was just devastating when these drugs didn't work and I kept getting more and more sick and I was certain just like the doctors were that I was going to die. And it was the fifth time that they were certain of it. And, you know, maybe you get lucky a couple of times, but Castleman disease, every time you get sick with Castleman's, it's kind of like playing Russian roulette. There's Mm. probably a 20 to 25% chance that you'll die. And so no one wants to play five, you know, five Mm. rounds of Russian roulette. No (laughs) one wants to play any rounds of (laughs) Russian roulette, but you definitely don't want to play five rounds. And, um. And so I've just been getting very lucky to to survive each one of these, and 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 I knew that my luck would run out. And I know that my luck will run out at some point, and that's why it was so important that I find something that say that could save me.
0: Was there at any point in this entire process that you were like, you know what, I've tried so many things, I can't do this anymore. You're sort of giving up. Did you ever have that feeling?
1: I did. I did. I had I had the feeling of wanting to give up really early on in my in my experience. I had been in the hospital for almost two months at that time and i was in the intensive care unit i was so sick and it's hard even to describe the amount of pain i was in because my liver and kidneys weren't working i was gaining fluid all over my body and the fluid was um filling around my vital organs and causing them to stretch in ways that they're not supposed to and it it basically felt like i was getting simultaneously stabbed all throughout my body for like literally weeks in a row without any sort of relief. And um, every breath was like the, the most painful feeling of my life. And uh, and I did want to give up. And I think that I would have given up if I didn't have my sisters and my dad next to me. And what I mean by giving up is that it was so difficult to breathe mm. and so difficult to um, to stay alive that I think that if I had just relaxed and 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 just stopped fighting so hard that I I would not have made it through that very first one. But my sisters and my dad wouldn't let me stop fighting. They just were there by my side. And they just kept pushing, pushing, pushing and encouraging me. And I think that if I had known that this was going to be months, it ended up being almost six months I was hospitalized to begin. I don't know if I would have had the mental strength to endure it for all that time. But I think yeah. that my sisters and my dad helped me to think about it as like a one day at a time thing. Like, you know, Dave, you can make it through today. Just focus on today.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, and that helped me to get through when, um, when I don't think I, I could have, if I thought about the big picture.
0: When you eventually like sort of found a treatment, all of that feeling, but must've been so worth it though. All of that advice of your sisters and your dad telling you one day at a time, what was that What was that moment like when you actually got back the test saying that, you know, this drug's actually working for you?
1: It was uh, was amazing, but at the same time, I've been so cautiously optimistic throughout this whole period because Mm -hmm. in my first three and a half years that I battled this disease and I nearly died five times, there were so many times where I felt like I was on top where like, okay, I'm on this drug. It's going to keep me in remission. I can get back to my former plans of becoming a doctor and treating cancer patients or, okay, I've fought it back. You know, Caitlin and I can get back to our old Mm -hmm. life. And then sure enough, every time I seem to get Um, confident or thankful, Mm -hmm. I I would relapse. And so the last six years that I haven't relapsed, I I just am so thankful for every day, but I haven't really like jumped up and down and celebrated (laughs) yet because I feel like the moment that that happens, it'll come back. But until then, I I think that I try to celebrate in other ways. And that's Mm -hmm. by just trying to make the most of every day and trying to share these lessons with the world and try to kind of pay it forward that that I, I learned a lot about life that I want to share with the world, and I also learned a lot about this process of drug repurposing. How you get, mm. how do you identify existing drugs to use in new ways? And, and we're doing that right now in the COVID nineteen yeah. fight.
0: So, with, with with having this Castleman disease, and every patient that does have it, are, the, are there obviously greater chances that, that you are more prone to get the COVID nineteen um, virus?
1: So, having had Castleman disease mm-hmm. on its own probably doesn't put us at increased risk of getting the virus, but it probably does put us at increased risk if we do get it of mm-hmm. having a really bad outcome. Mm-hmm. Because at the heart of my disease is that my immune system tends to over attack. If, yeah. um, if it should just turn on a little bit, it turns on a lot. Yeah. And in COVID-19, what we're seeing is that the patients who are getting the most sick and are dying from COVID-19, they're not dying because their immune system is not strong enough. They're actually dying because their immune system is too strong. Mm. And it's actually the immune system being too so strong when it's trying to fight the virus, it ends up causing a lot of collateral damage. And so I do suspect that for me and for other patients with my disease, we probably will have a more severe form of COVID-19 than, than the average person.
0: So for those people who don't actually follow you on social media, you've you found the cure for Carlson's disease, but now you're working on finding, or at least repurposing, a drug to assist or treat COVID nineteen, what is this experience like for you now? What is this? That's like? right. Mm.
1: So, there's so much overlap between Castleman's and COVID 19, and in the way that the immune system gets hyperactive, in the way these proteins produced by the immune system called cytokines cause lots of damage. There are actually a number of cas- drugs initially developed for Castleman disease that are being used against COVID 19. So, as a result, um, there's a lot that it, a lot of what we've been studying for the last decade is highly relevant. And then on top of that, just our blueprint of how we went about repurposing a drug made me feel like I just had to get involved in the COVID-19 mm-hmm. fight. I, I know every one of us in the whole world is mm-hmm. just devastated by what's happening. And I think every one of us wants to do anything we can. Yeah. And I found myself hoping and praying that some research group somewhere would follow our blueprint. Mm-hmm. And that's, I really hope that they they do this and they do that. They track this and mm-hmm. um, they run these experiments. and And then I said, wait a minute. I've been preaching so hard about this idea that if you hope for something, you need to do something about mm. it. You need, to, you need to turn your hope into action. And so if I'm going to hope that some research group does this, I just need to do it yeah. because we're not going to get any, anywhere if all of us are just hoping. Mm. We're only going to get somewhere against COVID-19 if we use our hopes to, to drive our action. And that's when about... A little bit over two months ago, um, we refocused my lab and my foundation on COVID nineteen.
0: So that so that brought about the project, which is now called, known as Repurpose. Um, can you sort of re, um, explain to us what repurpose is? I know it's a, it's a network of doctors and everyone doing all the research, but I'm sure that you can explain it a little bit better
1: <laughs> sure we we've um we've actually even um, repurposed the name we've changed it to it's called Corona now oh, okay <laughs> uh, so corona Corona and it's um it's a study where uh, and that stands for covid nineteen uh, registry of off label and new agents so at the at the very heart of it. It's our effort to collect data on every drug that has been tried to treat a COVID-19 patient anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And by definition, every one of those drugs is repurposed because every drug that's been given to a COVID-19 patient so far was initially developed for something else. Because of course, COVID-19... It's only been around for five months, mm. so there hasn't been time to develop new drugs. Everything mm. that we're studying is a repurposed drug. Yeah. So the first step is to track all of the things that have been given, and the next step is to say, we're going to study and dissect and investigate exactly how this disease Happens, how it works, what it does, so we can start to propose other drugs uh, to be repurposed as well. So it's about tracking what's being done right now and it's about identifying and searching for drugs that no one's even considering right now. Just like the drug that's saving my life, it was at my neighborhood pharmacy for all those years and no one had ever thought to try it and it's saving my life. How many? How many drugs might be sitting out there that um, no one's thinking about for COVID nineteen? So we want to track what is being used and we want to try to identify new drugs that can be used against
0: it. So so this project's in conjunction with the CDC and so in South Africa we obviously don't have the CDC in. What is the C D C and what do they do?
1: The CDCN is the Castleman Disease Collaborative Network. I mentioned when I first decided that I would dedicate my life to fighting Castleman yeah. disease that I created a foundation and a network, yeah. an international network, and that's what the CDCN is. It's this network that I created back in 2012 to try to bring together the global community to fight mm-hmm. Castleman disease. The CDCN um, does support patients and researchers all over the world. It's mm-hmm. much more U.S.-centric. Um, than, uh, the, there, there's less of a presence in South Africa, although we mm-hmm. do have a few patients and a few doctors who are part of our network in South Africa. Um, But so we uh, try to connect physicians, researchers, patients around the world um, to fight Castleman disease. And we as a network felt like we should um, throw our hat in the ring against um, against COVID-19.
0: So now that you've got, you've got the the foundation, you're doing this you're doing re- project repurpose, but you've also written the book Chasing My Cure, this memoir. What made you decide to to write this book and share your story with everybody?
1: Back in mm-hmm. 2017, I think it, yeah, 2017, mm-hmm. um, I crossed three years that I'd been in remission mm-hmm. on this drug, and like I said, I've never. Celebrated um, that it's working because, uh, for the reasons I mentioned earlier, but when three years passed, I almost died five times in the first three years after diagnosis. So the three year mark was actually quite significant for me to say, okay, three years have passed and I haven't had a single relapse. And and I really started reflecting on what I had gone through and all the lessons, the, the things that really had changed my life. I was a different person in 2017 than I was when I first got sick. And, yeah. and, I, and I started thinking, wait a minute, I've been kind of clued in on these lessons about life that have fundamentally changed who I am. I live day to day differently than I did before. Yeah. Why, why did I need to go through all of this to learn them? Like, wouldn't it have been great? if I could have just picked up a book and
0: mm-hmm. learned these
1: lessons, yeah. you know, in, in a few hours mm-hmm. instead of having to <laughs> nearly die yeah. five times and go yeah. through all these difficult experiences. Mm-hmm. And so that made me feel like I needed to write "Chase in My Cure to share this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and frankly, I knew that I was taking a risk. Uh, Caitlin and I had had just been married. We, were, we made it to our wedding day. We'd just been married a couple of years and we were hoping to have a family. And, and I knew that I was going to be Putting precious time Mm. that I could be spending with Caitlin and with the people Mm -hmm. that I love towards this book. I knew that I couldn't work on it during the week because I had to keep my research going during the week for Castleman. So it had to be weekends, which meant that it was time away from the people I loved. Mm. But I just felt like it was the right thing to do, um, and i didn't know if i would if I would ever make it to see the book come out in print. I didn't know if I would survive to a publication date and, and and i did and and so now that it's out and it's it's around the world i'm I'm trying to do everything I can to to get the book out to people
0: yeah so this if if you read the summary for this book like it's honestly it's like a plot in some romance novel i mean you're sick, you find the cure you just in time to get married to your college sweetheart like it's obviously. It's, it's not, it's not a plot. It's, it's your life story. What do you hope people get from reading this book?
1: I think the number one thing from the book is about, well, I guess I'll, I'll say two things. Oh man, I'm going to have to say three things. I, the more. I think about this. There's a lot of, there are a lot of things that, that come out of it. Yeah. So I think one is about hope and about how powerful mm-hmm. hope is and how, um, being able to, uh, get hope from other people's stories, I think is really powerful. But I think the really important thing that I've learned is that is that hope is really great, but hope needs to inspire our actions. So if we hope, yeah. we should say, what am I hoping for today? Okay, what can I do? What, what actions can I take to get us closer to the thing that I'm hoping for? So that's one, turning hope into action. Um, another one is that all of us face really, really tough times in life. I mean, mm. right now, especially between health implications of COVID-19, economic implications, and then, of course, everything else that was going wrong in the world before COVID-19 on top of all of that. Mm. And I think that we're often encouraged to try to, to try to look for silver linings in life and say, you know what, um, even though this is really tough, I think this positive thing came from it. Mm. But one thing that I, I try to encourage in the book is to not just look for silver linings, but to look to create silver linings. So again, it's about action. It's saying, okay, this is a really tough time. What can I do today with someone that I love that can make this, make something positive out of something that's really not positive. And so I think, I think that's a really important takeaway. And then I think the third is just around, how precious life is we talked about overtime and I think this yeah. sense of overtime, it sounds scary, right? You know, if you're in yeah. overtime, the clock's ticking, yeah. you know, every, it you know, every like second must be like, stressful, yeah. right? You know, I mean. you, yeah. It's a countdown. <laughs> it seems scary, but actually it, for me, it was scary. So I should be, I should be honest. It definitely was scary, but for me, I've been able to kind of turn it from something that, cr- that creates fear to something that creates clarity. So, and, yeah. and what I mean is that, in the first half of a soccer match, if you make a mistake, you've got the rest of the game to make it up. You, you know, you, yeah. the, the timing isn't that important, mm-hmm. and so you might be able to lose some focus for part of that first half of, of the game. But in overtime, there's there's no there's you can't lose focus you have to just focus on the on the task at hand it's all about you know what's your purpose what's your mission mm-hmm. and you're just totally locked into it and and that is the is the feeling that i have right now my my overtime is not fear oh my gosh my clock's going to run out tomorrow my overtime is okay the clock is ticking so while the clock is ticking what am i going to do today that is meaningful to me and is and is what I would do if, if I knew that I didn't have tomorrow. And, and I know that there's the cliche, you know, live like every, live it like it's your, yeah. Yeah, like today's your last, right? Yes. Um, but it's, it's not, it's not that it's actually live every day with the clarity around what's important to you and, and, and make sure you spend time doing the things that are important to you with the people that are important to you.
0: So that, that's the most, that's actually such amazing advice. Um, with um, the COVID-19 pandemic out in the USA, I was chatting to another, I think I was actually telling you when I spoke to you initially, that I just interviewed someone a couple of weeks back, also in Philadelphia, about um, That's right. About COVID-19 and locking down in the USA. How is that sort of affecting your, your work now with, with, with Repurpose and and the CDCN?
1: Good question. Mm-hmm. So you're right. Things are really locked down here mm-hmm. in the States. Um, Thankfully, my university, so there is a full lockdown, but Mm -hmm. essential COVID-19 research is allowed. And so... We have a 13-member lab, and 12 of the 13 of us are all working virtually. So we're doing as whatever data analyses we can virtually. And then one of our team members is actually physically going into the lab every day. But the rest of us are all working virtually and doing everything we can, doing data analyses, um, looking through to try to find patterns for new drugs that could be used. All of that we're doing virtually.
0: And what's, what do you think is sort of next for you? Because, I mean, now you've written this book, you have the CDC, and What's coming next for you?
1: I think next is this concept of getting from chasing my cure to chasing our cures yeah. so my life has been so focused on finding a drug that could save my life mm-hmm. and patients with my disease there unfortunately are thousands of patients diagnosed each year in the us and, and all around the world with castleman disease many of them are benefiting from the research that we've done and, and it has been incredible um, to to be able to have a drug that's saving my life it's been even more incredible to have a drug that's saving other patients lives um, but the next step for me, um, in, in my opinion, is trying to apply um, these same principles to other diseases and to really continue on something that I, I promised my mom I would do before she passed. I told her I would dedicate my life to hunting diseases. My mom had cancer and uh-huh. cancer killed her while I was in college. So and I just I pledged to her that I would um, spend my life going chasing after diseases and trying mm-hmm. to cure them and so um one of them uh castleman disease has been mm-hmm. um you know somewhat controlled with our research we've still got work to do but um, i'm eager to uh, take on more diseases and, and try to make more of an impact and, and hopefully share these lessons that i talked mm-hmm. about that are in chasing my cure with the world
0: and and this and the book chasing my cure for for uh, sorry actually right now currently uh, in south africa it's a and that means that everyone is coming out of their house to sort of clap and cheer for the essential workers. Um, oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> so I don't know if you can actually hear it. I'm going to try and see. Because I can hear it through my earphones, but it's it's quite insane.
1: I could, hear, I could hear something oh, yeah. a moment ago, and I wasn't sure yeah. what that so, so was. That's
0: what so at the same time, it's also sort of for you, and it's amazing that I'm chatting to you at this exact time. <laughs>
1: yeah, that is. It's really cool. No, I feel, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about that there's people in South Africa that are, that are cheering for the work that's being done in South Africa, but also yeah. all around the world. Do you
0: guys have anything similar happening overseas?
1: 7 p.m. here is when is when there's a lot of mm. cheering that happens and um it's yeah it's it's been really we talked earlier about mm. I hope that some silver yeah. linings come from this and I think that as as fractured as the US and the world feels at times mm. with you know political parties and, mm. and that kind of stuff I'm just really hoping that um that we can really all come together and, and there's no doubt that people have already mm. started to Definitely. do
0: that and the last thing before you go is the book, Chasing Right Cure, is it available for South Africans to purchase? Because I know it's available on Amazon.
1: Yes. So it's available everywhere books are sold in the U.S. <laughs> and in a number of other countries. It's easy to get on Amazon. Um, it also uh, maybe maybe available in bookstores. I know that things are really um, shut mm-hmm. down right now. I'm not certain if, if it's available in bookstores mm-hmm. in South Africa, definitely Amazon. And of course the audiobook is available. Um, and also the ebook online is available. I, I ended up, uh, recording the audio book myself because I really wanted to be able to share my story in my yeah. voice. I, I, I didn't share this earlier, but um, my, my wife and I went on to have yeah. a daughter who's 21 months old right now, Amelia. And um, I, I love the idea of being able to share my story through my voice. And um, if I'm not here to tell the story to her, that she could, um, she could listen to that's, it in my voice. And so, of course, a- anyone can listen to it. Oh, thank
0: you. So, Is there any way that anyone can help you? Is there any way that they can get involved? How do people go about getting involved with with this project?
1: Sure. So there are a couple ways that anyone in the world can get involved. Uh, One is to join our team for the corona project we're looking for people who want to help us to go through the data to track what drugs are being repurposed against covid 19. it's hard work but anyone can do it we'll train you we'll get you set up and you can help us out on the corona project and if you don't have the time or or maybe the interest in in kind of rolling up your sleeves and, and doing the work with us you can donate to our team cdcn.org is uh, is is the website where you can donate cdcn.org slash Corona is where you can get more information about our project. And so if you want to donate your time or donate your funds to help enable our work, then that is awesome. Um, or a third way you can help is to share the link, is to spread the word about uh, CDC.org slash Corona so that physicians, researchers, governmental organizations, that they're aware of this resource and and we can help as many patients as possible.
0: I'll definitely make all of that available on my social media. I know it's it's there already for, for, for the um, carcinoma disease and your stories up there, but I'll make sure and I'll go and add all of that in. But thank you so much for allowing me to share your story with uh, the South African listenership and actually anybody, cause it's on Spotify. So thank you so much.
1: Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and I should say um, as part of my, thank you mm-hmm. to you um, is uh, two of my, my dearest and closest friends and mentors are both South African. Mm-hmm. One is Arthur Rubenstein He's been guiding me and mentoring me um, throughout this entire journey. Yeah. He's one of the most brilliant physician scientists I've ever met. And then the other mm-hmm. is, is my good friend, Duncan Mackay, mm-hmm. uh, who, who was born and raised in mm-hmm. South Africa, and he's now a physician here mm-hmm. in the States. So I've had a lot of support from two amazing mm-hmm. South Africans, <laughs> and um, I'm so thankful uh, uh, that you had the opportunity, or you gave me the opportunity to, to share with others.
0: Thank you so much. Media outlet to have the chance to sit and chat to Dr. David Fagenbaum about this journey, his book, and his projects. And I really hope that everyone listening is as inspired by the story as I was when I first heard it. And thank you so much for tuning into this episode, guys. Remember, if you enjoyed it, please subscribe to our Spotify channel and give us a follow on social media. Again, thank you to my amazing guest, Dr. David Fagenbaum. And thank you to every single one of you for tuning in. I hope to see you back here sometime on air with Matthew James.